أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد In our last session we spoke about this problem of khawatir yes khawatir is the plural of khatira khatira comes from khutur khutur means something that um, goes through something passes by something and so what it refers to here is you know those thoughts those memories those images that just come and go in our minds um, that will accumulate after a while and cause problems for us um, the ulama orafa they're always complaining about this problem as i said before it really is a struggle um, especially when you enter salat this problem really shows itself the moment you say allahu akbar you begin your salat uh, your thoughts everything everything comes to you that you didn't want everything crosses your mind khutur crosses your mind um, when you don't want it to anyway that was the problem if that's the problem now tonight we want to talk about uh, the solution now this is a the solution is very uh, clear I think but it's uh, it takes a lot of practice and hard work um, and sacrifice sometimes and um, it's not going to be fixed overnight either especially in this day and age that we're living in it's a problem that everyone is dealing with so <laughs> at least we know that uh, when something is a problem for a lot of people it becomes easier for us to accept it you know when you go to the um, when you get in trouble at school and you go to the principal's office if you have four other people there uh, the problem is easier for you this problem is going to be easier for you when bala is more encompassing of people and it's not just you who's suffering from this bala this tragedy this hardship this problem it's just easier for you to handle. So like when you go to the principal's office, if there's four other people, you're happy because you're not the only one in trouble. It just makes it easier on you versus if you're taken to the principal's office and you're the only one, you're the only one there and you're sitting there alone. Anyway, this uh, problem, if the problem was that, let me go over, he gave us a little flowchart kind of thing. He, he said, Jawadi, he said, uh, the problem with, the, with us is that <clears throat> we, the different things we say, do, hear, all that stuff accumulates these thoughts and slowly when these thoughts, these negative thoughts, these um, whatever, distractions, when they accumulate in the mind, what happens is that a shok is developed towards these notions, these thoughts that we have, a shok, an inclination we have an inclination towards it. And when this inclination is there, we have a disposition towards these matters. So a person who is on their phone 24 seven, uh, after a while, they, they have that inclination in them and it's a disposition, it's part of them now. And they can't put their phone aside, for example, and just not look into, not, not go on, for example, Instagram, all right? And, uh, and just look at things, you know. And we're not talking haram here. We're talking halal, even. Um, so this disposition, once the disposition is there, 
once the malaka disposition is there, these images and thoughts and, and all that will, will, will persist in our minds. It's not like they'll come and go. No. The mind, the soul believes that this is part of it. The mind and soul is after these things. The mind and soul believe that this is important. And so it's going to stay with this person. Once it stays, that's what's on the mind. And when that's on the mind, then Allah goes out of the mind. That's the problem. That was the problem we discussed before. Alright, so now, if that's the case, then the solution is very clear to all of this. He says that we have to be careful of our gatherings where we sit, where we, what we read, what we hear, what we eat, what we wear. Like he even uses the example of wearing even, what we wear. If I'm wearing something to stand out, you know, very flashy to stand out, well, that's going to become my disposition. That's going to be what my ruh, my soul thinks is important. And that's going to be on my mind. These kinds of things. So we have to be very diligent, he says, when it comes to whatever form of input and influx of data we have coming into our minds, coming into our soul, so to speak. Um, I tell Amir Bakari, he's a person that I would follow when, back, when, back in the day when I was in Qom. His, his lectures, not his, the institute that he has. Anyway, because um, he's an akhlaqi figure in my opinion. Uh, very good individual and um, I have a couple of stories that you know personal encounters I had with him in the streets in, in Qom but anyway that's not very relevant right now but what I want to say is this he said one time in one of his lectures he was like even if, even what you watch before going to sleep at night that has an effect on when you wake up in the morning most probably your mind will, will go in that direction and those images those thoughts will come to your mind so a person's waking up for Fajr, or maybe even before Fajr, and um, they want to pray. And so the body has rested, the mind should be free now of anything, of anything that's holding it down. But then all of a sudden this person sees that they're thinking of things, or things are coming to their mind that they won't want. And it's not even haram things, halal things even, but it's a distraction for them. Um, in their salat, so this is what he's talking about. Itlamir Bakri. He says, like even what you watch at night um, has an effect. Or for me personally, I remember one of these uh, scholars um, who is semi-famous. Um, he was saying this, and I was kind of surprised he said this. Now this person is not known for akhlaq too much. He's just a normal, normal um, sheikh, you know, and mujtahid actually. Uh, so he does international work a lot. And so he said that, uh, yeah, when I wake up in the morning, first thing I do, and when he was talking about it, from what I remember, he was talking about, you know, for when I wake up early in the morning, you know, it's time to pray Fajr Salat and stuff. First thing I do is check my email real quick. Well, doing such a thing, uh, or like when we wake up, brothers and sisters, we're tempted to just take a little glance at our phone to see, okay, do we get any messages throughout the night uh, on WhatsApp? What's going on? Even that, I feel, is, not, is the wrong thing to do because thoughts and images and all these kinds of things will come back again. And what happens is that we, um, 
that is going to be in our mind as we're going to do our salat. Now sometimes there is nothing going on and um, and there's nothing on our phone, fine. But sometimes there's stuff that's happened. Someone's messaged us about something. Someone sent us a photo. And so we're curious. So we open up our phone to see what the photo was and that itself snowballs. And before you know it, now that I'm praying Fajr, 20 minutes later, because I, I was just like looking into my phone, forget about the being late part, but also my mind is on that topic that had come up. So one of the struggles is when I wake up for Fajr, for example, I don't even look at my phone. Yeah, But that's what it's come down to, unfortunately, <laughs> that we, part of our struggle is to not turn on our phone even in the morning when we wake up for Fajr Salat. And I think there's something that we can all relate to. Okay, anyway. Um, so Ayatollah Jawadi here, he says, if we're after a little solution to nafyul to khawatir, and so that we can do nafyul khawatir and reject these different things that come to mind, is that at least we have to be diligent. When we're diligent about how much, what what is coming into our minds through all the different sources of data, which today, as I said, in the 21st century is a hundred times harder than in the past. Just with these phones and the internet, I mean, <laughs> really, it's like we, our backs are to the wall, really. Um, he says, okay, this diligence of what is coming in to my mind, of data, once that happens, um, once that happens, I become... I become easy for, my soul becomes easy for good thoughts, good images, good... And when I say images, I don't mean pictures, brothers and sisters. I mean like whatever, anything that crosses your mind. That's what I mean by images. Once that happens and I'm ready, I don't know if you remember, um, we talked about this in our last session that the Prophet was made easy for good. Here it says that we'll be made easy for good as well. In the sense that now we're ready for a dhikr to do its thing. Before this, if the mind is in a thousand places, dhikr is not going to help. But he says once we control these thoughts, these khawatir that are just destroying us, at least control them a little bit, then we have to add a dhikr and a lot of dhikr. Ya kathira, the Quran says. Add a lot of dhikr. Once we add a lot of dhikr, a disposition of Ta'alluq um, billah it's called and being connected and attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes place in us yes before you know it you are, instead of having a disposition of Instagram <laughs> you have a disposition of Allah of, of being attached to Allah it's as if you need this dhikr now you know the exact opposite of what we were talking about in the beginning of the session where there are some people who their disposition is these thoughts and these things that cross their mind all the time and once you have this attachment to Allah he says you are inside of Salat and outside of Salat you are connected better than you were before so that's his the solution he gives which is I think is a very obvious solution a very clear solution um, you have to have two things one take care of your thoughts two add dhikran kathira uh, remember Allah as much as you can and as I've said before this doesn't necessarily mean that you know you have to do that during um, certain times of the day like you might be walking from your car to where you're working 
to your job. It might be a 10 minute walk, it might be a 2 minute walk. Why not remember Allah in that moment as well? Now, this dhikr, dhikr and kathira, there's no number on it here. This is what's important and this is what scholars usually point out is that there is no number because sometimes, you know, we hear about how, you know, there's a special number for certain dhikrs to get certain things done and for certain things to happen for a person. That's not, I'm not uh, rejecting that at all. That is true. But that is not what we're talking about here. For closeness to Allah, for a spiritual wayfarer, a salik in Allah, and a person who's doing sayyid and suluk, this person has to have a lot of dhikr. Right? And so this idea of, let me have one of these tasbah, these salawat counters, you know, or, or even have these, uh, these dhikr beads, is not necessary, you know. Some people think to have dhikr, you have to have one of these things with you all the time. No. Ayatollah Bahjat, you would go to his door uh, for Fajr Salat, for example, back in the day when you could go to his house, to the door of his house. He would come out, Assalamu alaikum, wa alaikum assalam. That was the only interaction he would have with the people around him. You would go to his house and walk with him towards the masjid, which was like five, seven minutes away. Uh, throughout the whole way, he was either reciting Quran or saying dhikrullah. Uh, and sometimes even just talking to Allah. Man ya'rif qadrak? He would say to Allah, which means, uh, who is the one who knows how high you are? And who, know, who is the one who knows your worth, O oh Allah? You know. Sometimes he was just, inna anzalnahu fi qadr. Just reciting Surah Al-Qadr. Sometimes just dhikr. But the point I'm trying to make is he didn't have a tasbih in his hand. Tasbih or dhikr beads in his hand or uh, these tasbih counters now that people have it's like a ring they wear where they just count their tasbih or their dhikr or their salawats that they're sending you know uh, this isn't necessary i'm not saying it's a bad thing at all no as a matter of fact um these dhikr beads having them in your hand and just maybe even like just twist turning them in your finger among uh, in your between your fingers <coughs> even if you're not saying dhikr we have some hadith for that even as well. Especially the tasbih that's made out of the turbah of Imam Hussein alayhi we have, we have certain uh, hadiths in that regard. That even if you're not saying dhikr, it's saying dhikr for you. And saying tasbih for you. Aside from that though, the point I'm trying to make is this. Dhikr and kathira doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to count it. Okay, alhamdulillah, I did 9,999 let me do one more so it's rounded up to 10,000. You don't have to necessarily round it up, but as much as you can, the more you do, the better. All right, so this dhikr is super important. Now, of course, as we speak about all of this stuff, I just want to remind us again that this is for a person who has taken care of their wajib and haram and now is, and wants to do more. Dhikr is one of the most important ones now. These ulama, they will talk about how certain dhikrs and certain times are better and have more of an effect. I might talk about that later if I remember. Anyway, this dhikr is so important because um, it, it develops that attachment to Allah and the person being in love with Allah more. We'll talk about other things as well, other than dhikr, or the best form of dhikr. Um, we'll talk about that later a little bit, but I just want to share a story with you first of Allama Tabatabai and this dhikr, how important it is, how effective it is. All right, so 
Um, everyone knows that Alama Tabatabai, towards the end of his life, he suffered from a serious case of Alzheimer's. And so I remember reading that uh, they would give him, he would, he would be thirsty, and they would give him water, and when he would get the water, he would be confused as to what this water is for. He didn't know what the water is for. So he would forget in the one minute that it took, or 30 seconds it took to give him water, he would forget that that water is for him to drink. Now that's how severe his Alzheimer's had become. And this is interesting because the Quran also talks about this, that look, you are born, oh people, you're born knowing nothing. Uh, Allah is the one who brings you to this world, takes you out of your mother's wombs while you know nothing. Alright, so we come into this world like that and then we learn so much, so we know a lot. But then Allah takes slowly, slowly to gets us closer and closer. When we get closer and closer to death, it says, um, Look, this person who thought he was, he knew everything and was so knowledgeable, they either die or they get really, really old. So some people die a little younger. Some people get really old. يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْذَ لِلْعُمُرِ And then, when they get really old, what is the result of that? لِكَيْ لَا يَعْلَمَ مِنْ بَعْدِ عِلْمٍ شَيْئًا This person, after now having all this knowledge, after having all this ilm, he doesn't know anything. لِلَا يَعْلَمُ شَيْئًا لِكَيْ لَا يَعْلَمَ مِنْ بَعْدِ عِلْمٍ شَيْئًا So the same thing that happened to a person, or was the case about a person being born, is The same wording now is used for a person who gets so old and it's getting close to death that the Quran says that this person doesn't know it reaches a point where they don't know anything anymore again. Now this is not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Allah is just reminding us that uh, don't rely on your knowledge. Don't think that's your knowledge that's going to get you anywhere. True knowledge is very, very important. But at the same time, uh, it's not the active ingredient necessarily in a person being close to Allah. So anyway, also, in the, towards the end of his life, he suffered from Alzheimer's and he didn't remember anything anymore. But this is the point I want to make here now. And this illustrates very greatly the point I just made about how it's not the active ingredient, how much knowledge we have. Other things are the active ingredient in our closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The story says that, uh, the one I don't, I don't remember exactly where I read it, but it was very beautiful when I did read it. It said, uh, The person who's you know telling us the story, he says, so he's suffering from this Alzheimer's and not remembering anything, but I would notice that his mouth is always moving in dhikr. And so I asked him once, like, what is this? What are you saying? And apparently, Taba had understood that this person is kind of surprised that a person with Alzheimer's is remembering something. Is saying, he said, this is Vic, I'm saying Vic. But he didn't say, I'm saying Vic. He said, 
How can a, a lover ever forget the beloved? That's very deep. So through this dhikr of Allah, and of course a ton of other things, but one of them being dhikrullah, Allama Tabatabai has, he has uh, developed this attachment to Allah through this dhikr, that even when he's forgotten everything, it's become a disposition, it's become part of him, that this is one thing he's never going to forget. So it's the active ingredient here is dhikr, people. It's not, it's not necessarily... Uh, um, how much knowledge I have. He loses, he loses all the knowledge, but what is supposed to stay with him stays with him. This is very important. And this is where I, I might have shared this story with some of you before. One of our teachers, uh, who actually was one of the students of Ayatollah Bahjat, he says, he would tell he, one of my friends who was a classmate back then, like he told me this. He said that our teacher had said that, um, well, my friend said, I went to our teacher. I was like, you teach us so many nice things. But we forget them after a while. All these details of different things that we're learning from you, um, we forget. And so we're upset we, that we don't keep all these details. And so his answer was, don't worry about it. The details that you hear from me, or the things that I teach you that you forget, those details, it's fine that you forget them. It's just like henna. When you put on henna, the volume of that substance, you wash it off, right? You leave henna on for a while. After a while, you wash it off. And once you wash it off, it leaves, you know, the color on the hand or on wherever it was applied, right? So that's what we were after. The substance itself was to be washed off from the beginning. And what was supposed to remain was the color. So... Don't, he says, don't worry about that part. Don't worry about the details that go. You develop an understanding of Islam. That's what's important. That's why I'm t sharing all these things with you, all these details with you. I know you'll forget half of the details of the different stories I tell you or the different dadises and lessons I tell you. But what does remain with you is an understanding of Islam, he was saying. So here, same thing. All this knowledge, all, this, uh, all the different things that we do, they're there for us to, to, to and, and they will go one day maybe. But what remains is that connection with, uh, to Allah, that attachment, that disposition that we have developed. That even if I develop Alzheimer's disease, I'm always in the, in the remembrance of Allah. That's something I won't forget. It's become part of me. SubhanAllah, that's, uh, that's very beautiful. Anyway, it's, it's no surprise that the Jawadi Amulis and others like him were so infatuated with Allama Tabatabai. This person was different, really, he was different. All right. So, once all this happens, uh, Yaqadha takes place, he says, this awakening and us waking up from that slumber of Ghafla. And this Ghafla slowly starts to go, he says. All right. Now in this part of the book, Ayatollah uh, Jawadi, he goes a little bit into dhikr itself and starts talking about dhikr itself. He says, first of all, the greatest dhikr of them all is salat itself. Aqim salata li dhikri, the Quran says, that we need to establish salat for the purpose of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what you're supposed to get out of it. Now you see, there are a lot of uh, 
mustahab acts out there, wajib acts out there, brothers and sisters, that the condition for their acceptance, the condition for their acceptance is the general condition of acceptance for everything, which is taqwa. إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ Allah only accepts from the muttaqin, those who take care of their wajib and haram throughout the day. Those are the ones, if they do mustahab acts, not only do they get sawab and rewards, but no, they get the desired effect of that act, which is the solidification of their, or the solidifying of their iman. These mustahab acts that we do, the main desired effect they're supposed to have is to get us closer to Allah. In other words, our iman gets stronger and rises. For that to happen, all mustahab acts, all wajib acts even, they have one condition, which is, it's a general condition, a universal condition that, and that is to try to observe taqwa throughout the day. Okay. But in addition to taqwa, which is general, there are some a'mal, there are some mustahab or wajib acts that have other conditions as well, in addition to taqwa, for it to be accepted. One of them is salat. We have hadiths that the amount you pay attention in your salat is the amount it's accepted. In other words, that's the amount that will have an effect. The rest won't have an effect that you're after. If I'm doing salat, but I'm, paying, I'm not paying attention to my salat, I'm just thinking about, you know, I don't know, elections and, and, uh, and Black Friday and sales uh, and clearance and all that kind of stuff. And let me go buy this and buy that. Well, of course, that salat's not going to have the desired effect. Because in addition to taqwa, there's another condition as well for acceptance of salat in particular. What is that? That is paying attention to the salat. Versus like giving sadaqah. Giving sadaqah, you won't find hadith that will say, all right, you have to make sure when you give the sadaqah, you're thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No. If I give sadaqah in the way of Allah and I'm doing it for Allah's uh, sake, then that counts. Whether I was paying attention to Allah the moment I gave the sadaqah or I wasn't. All in all, if I know that I'm doing this for Allah, that's enough. So salat is, is the best form of dhikr, he says. But yes, the amount that we pay attention in it. We, ha we have hadith for this. So he starts talking about that a little bit. Al-Musalli yunaji rabbahu. He brings a hadith that the one who's praying is doing munajat with his Lord. Munajat is an intimate conversation and whispering between two people. So a person who's praying is doing munajat of the Lord. He starts talking about dhikr. I don't want to get into that. The different dhikrs. He talks about how the Prophet, when he would كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهُ وَجُيُّشُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَآلَهُ وَجُيُّشُهُ إِذَا عَلَوْا الثَّنَايَا كَبَّرُوا وَإِذَا هَبَطُوا سَبَّحُوا That when the, the Prophet and his armies, when they would go up and to elevations, when they were traveling and journeying, uh, when they, whenever they would go to a high point, an elevation, they would say, Allahu Akbar. Whenever they would go to a low valley, they would do tasbih of Allah subhanallah. So the hadith says that فَبُدِعَتِ salatu ala ذَلِكِ That salat was also made based on this. When we go, when we get up, we say Allahu Akbar. When we go down, Subhana Rabbiyal Azim, Subhana Rabbiyal A'la, Subhanallah, 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 these types of things. So until the Jawadi talks about these different dhikrs a little bit, you know, it's not, um, it's not too important here or relevant in my opinion. 
But then he talks about something else. He says, look, dhikr, the only good thing about it is not the fact that you remember Allah and develop that disposition of attachment to Allah, but rather there's more to it as well. Each of these dhikrs is one of the teachings of Islam as well. And so that becomes part of us as well. I read this once. It's a famous letter he wrote to a youth who had asked him for, um, um, what's it called? A prescription, a spiritual prescription. Now, Allah tells him, like, of course, after he tells him to, you know, have taqwa and to have wajib and haram taken care of, of course. He tells him, do... 3,000 la ilaha illallahs a day. Okay, so that's a lot, by the way. And this is not for all of us, just saying. I'm just saying, the point I'm trying to make is, if you are saying la ilaha illallah 3,000 times, whether you like it or not, the tongue is the gateway to the heart. When a person says that, now if they pay attention to that 3,000 times, then that's going to do them wonders. But if, even if their attention goes and comes and goes and comes, they're going to get a good number of those that they're paying attention to. La ilaha illallah doesn't, isn't just, oh, let's remember Allah. La ilaha illallah is the greatest teaching of Islam. La ilaha illallah means la, la ma'luha illallah, la ma'buda illallah. There's no one worthy of worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person keeps repeating this, and reminding themselves this, the soul believes this. And so, when something comes up and I have to decide between Allah and something else or somebody else, if I have, if I have uh, said this to myself all this many times, and it's become slowly part of me that Allah is the most important, Allah is so important that He's the only one I'm going to worship, it'll e make things easier for me when I want to uh, choose between Allah and others. So the point I'm trying to make here, brothers and sisters, or the point that Ayatollah Jawadi is trying to make here, is that not only do we remember Allah and gain that attachment, but rather we are also instilling ma'arif Islamiyyah, ma'arif ilahiyyah, uh, instilling Islamic teachings within us as the, we, do, we say these dhikrs as well. So it's uh, two birds with one stone, really. He, until Jawadi here, he talks about how la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, which is also a dhikr. He talks about how this dhikr, what it means based on hadiths again. Hawl comes, hawl and ha'il, they are from the same root. Um, and so when we say la hawla, it's as if we're saying la ha'ila illallah. There is no obstruction except Allah. وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ La quwa means no power except Allah. Okay, that belongs to Allah, excuse me. Okay, question. What does it mean that there's no obstruction and there's no power that, other than that which belongs to Allah? He brings a hadith that uh, from Imam, from Imam al-Baqir, I think. One second, yeah. Imam al-Baqir. Where Imam says, لا حول لنا عن معصية الله بعون الله ولا قوة لنا على طاعة الله إلا بتوفيق الله. That when, I, when we say لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله, the حول and obstruction means obstruction from sin. That which gets between us and sin and doesn't allow us to do sin is from Allah only, and the help of Allah only. 
And when we say, Wala quwwata illa billah, there's no quwwa and power. What we mean is power when I do good things, when I, when I listen to Allah, when I obey Allah, when I exhibit ta'atullah, that is only from Allah. That push and power is from Allah. So if it's something that's going to get between me and sin, it's from Allah. If it's something that's going to push me towards obedience of Allah, it's from Allah. Everything Allah. So a person who has la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah and they are remembering Allah through that, not only are they remembering Allah, but they're also reminding themselves that everything in his, is in His hands as well. Yes? So dhikr is two birds with one stone really. Alright, so that's that. Dhikr. We have two more things uh, to cover before I end. Number one, he talks about how after he talks about dhikr, he talks about how this awakening that is, is gained and ghafla goes away if the person really works on themselves and, and does that struggle of watching out, controlling the, the influx of data, let's call it. And then once that has taken place, putting dhikrullah instead of it, he says, when awakening happens because of that, there are different stages and levels of, and degrees of awakening as well. It's not like awakening is, is, is one for everybody. No, awakening sometimes happens, from, happens, for, happens for a person and as a result of it, this person no longer goes towards sin or um, they go towards sin less because of that awakening of, oh, what am I doing? Like there's an akhirah coming, there's an afterlife coming. Let me fix that up, you know. I don't want to ruin it. Sometimes awakening has already taken place, but another awakening takes place. A person even reaches this point where they're like, let me take my life more serious. I'm not committing haram anymore, but I, I'm 30 years old and I'm still playing video games. You know, let me, in addition to taking care of the wajib and haram that I have to do ever since I've become balid, but now that I'm 30, 35 years old, let me take other things a little more serious as well. Yeah. And so this person starts to add to their plate certain a'mal that are very important. They're not wajib. They're mustahab. But they're very effective, like dhikr, like uh, salat al-layl and these kinds of things. This person wakes themselves up. They're like, okay, wait, wait, wait. I should be working for more. True, wajib and haram, the greats have said that that's enough, that's the key to Jannah. But yes, you can also get more once you've taken care of that. And so this person awakens. Sometimes it's not even that, it's even more than that. A person awakens and that means that they reach a point of tawheed and iman that it's as if no one really exists for them except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So these different awakenings, they're there. These different levels of awakening are there in our life here, in our life here in this dunya. But there are other awakenings even that happen once we leave this dunya. Right? So the hadith, for example, says, nasu niyamun intabahu. That people are all asleep. It's only when they die that they wake up. Barzakh, brothers and sisters is an awakening compared to this dunya that we live in. 
Now, some people wake up in this dunya, they're a very few number, uh, or a low number they are, but whoever doesn't wake up to the to to proper tawheed of Allah, and understanding that Allah is ala kulli shay'in qadir, and that Allah is everything, that happens for them in barzakh. Barzakh is an awakening compared to this dunya. So if we're in this dunya, there's different stages of awakening in this dunya for us. But there's also other stages of awakening that will happen once we leave this dunya and we're in the barzakh. But barzakh is an awakening compared to dunya. But compared to akhirah, this same barzakh is also a sleep. And when the Qiyam al-Qiyamah comes, that is the real awakening. Right? And that's why the Qur'an says that when these people, they are brought into the mahshar, they are brought into, for the Day of Judgment, they are awakened. They say, مَنْ بَعَثَنَا مِنْ مَرْقَدِنَا Who woke us up from our sleep? Well, you weren't asleep in the barzakh. You were awake. But there was sleep compared to the akhirah. So these stages of awakening now, they are a journey that we have to go through. Starts with the wajib and haram, then getting rid of this ghafla and the dhikr of Allah and certain mustahabbat and continuing them and paying attention in them, trying our best to pay attention in them. Um, and so it reaches a point in this life that we're in that we have an awakening that others don't have, inshallah. And then there's other forms of awakening and levels of awakening that happen once we leave this dunya and we leave the barzakh even. So every stage is an awakening compared to the previous stage, but a sleep compared to the ensuing stage. I want you to understand that, inshallah. And that's why uh, there's a famous story. They say that uh, Shahid Mutahari, uh, when he became Shahid and they assassinated him, uh, he came to the dream of one of his sons, if I'm not mistaken. It's a very famous story. Uh, I usually don't share stories unless they're very famous. Stories of dreams, you know, unless they're very famous. So in Qum, we would hear this. That he comes to the dream of somebody, maybe it was his son or somebody else, and they ask him, what are you doing in the barzakh right now? He says, I'm learning Tawheed from Imam Hussein salam. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm learning Tawheed from Imam Hussein. Well, that is an awakening for him compared to what he had here, although he was a great alim here. But there are certain things that you will only learn in the barzakh. And so he talks about that. And he said in that dream, he says that that's, what I'm, that's what's happening right now for me here. SubhanAllah. So that was one thing that I wanted to end with. The second thing I want to end with is, once this uh, awakening does take place for a person, and they take life serious, and they're like, you know what? It's time to get off my back and start to move and do something for my akhirah, this basic awakening, which is very important. Um, just because it's basic doesn't mean it's not important. Once this happens, a person should not give themselves now benefit of the doubt. Okay, alhamdulillah, we're good to go now, and things like that. No, rather, it's on the, on the contrary. You don't give yourself benefit of the doubt. Here it says you give yourself su'udhan. And you don't give yourself that benefit of doubt. Why? Because you might slip back into uh, haram that you were doing before. A person who brings their guard down might fall into haram again. 
Or for some people, it's not that there's a fear that they're going to fall into haram. But if they give themselves too much benefit of the doubt, they might feel like, okay, they've done their work and they'll stay at that level that they're at spiritually. And they won't, and they won't make any more progress. While when it comes to spiritual growth and progress, the sky is the limit. You, there is no stopping. And that's what these scholars say. And so, if you're going to be content with yourself, and you're like, okay, Alhamdulillah, we we're good. That's you're going to stop there. It's not worth it. No, try to go higher even. And I'll end with the story. Adam Tabatabai once again. Who else? He, uh, this is also a very famous story. It's in the books, that, and they've written it down and uh, quoted him on this. Then he says, when in those years in Najaf, when we were under the great Allama Qadi, our teacher of spiritual wayfaring had told us that along the way, when you're saying dhikr of Allah, you know, and you're in that special mood and mode of dhikr, certain things might happen. Certain things might come up, good things might take place for you. I want you to not pay attention to those. Don't let those get in the way of you and the dhikr that you're saying. Right? And so he says that one day when I was saying dhikr, all of a sudden a hurul ain shows up. Now, how, how that is, we don't know once again, but a person whose barzakhi vision is active, and activated can see things that others cannot see. Now, first of all, let's get this straight, brothers and sisters. Hurul Ain are not non mahram to you. <laughs> okay? So that's one of the blessings that Allah has reserved for you. But this Hurul Ain, when she comes and starts to try to get his attention, he says, I remembered what my teacher had said of don't pay attention to things that might come up on the way of this spiritual wayfaring. Dunya is not the time for Hurul Ain. Akhirah is. And so he says, I continued to do my dhikr and paid attention to my dhikr. And she starts to try to get my attention more. Comes from my left, comes from my right, offers me goblets of certain drinks. I, I don't pay attention and she gets upset and she leaves. And Allah says, till this day I'm upset that I broke somebody's heart. <laughs> so that's one thing that's so crazy, man. This is a... Uh, this is <laughs> for a person like us or a person like me, we're going to be upset that, okay, we lost this opportunity and it was halal too. For him, it's, I broke somebody's heart, you know? Anyway, point being, he paid attention to his dhikr. He didn't give himself benefit of the doubt, like, okay, we're, I'm good enough. I mean, this is good. Let's, let's, you know, let's be content with, with, with what we have. Of course, his teacher had reminded him of this and that's the importance of a teacher when it comes to special spiritual wayfaring, not the general things. Right now we're talking about general things of spiritual wayfaring, right? So these can be learned from different scholars. But when it comes to the special things that you have to have a special teacher for, that's the good thing about the teacher is that they remind you of certain things. Allah Qadi reminds Allah Tabatabai that, look, don't, don't fall for it. Be careful. Don't be content. Continue with your dhikr. The akhirah is the time for these things, not the dunya. Dunya is a time, is, is a gym. You just have to do, do your workout here and just make as many gains as you can. And so Allah Ta'ala does that. And that's why he, I guess you can say, he goes higher than whatever he is. Because he's not content with what he has. He
he does not give himself benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and once this happens, Ayatollah Jawadi, he says, once you fix that relationship of yours with Allah through these matters, the relationship of you between you and people will automatically, Allah will fix it. Of course, people who have some nur in them, not the ones who are 100% dark and, and they have lulumat in them. No, people who are not problematic, you won't have to worry about fixing your relationship with them even. Allah will fix it. Those who have iman, they do good deeds, Allah will put wood in other people's hearts <coughs> and love in other people's hearts towards those people, although they haven't even done anything for those people. Until Abhaja wouldn't say anything, but everyone was, was in love with him. This is a good example. We've never seen Alamat but we're in love with him. Why? Because they did, they fixed their relationship with Allah, Allah fixed their relationship with everyone else. Inshallah, Allah gives us that tawfiq. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.